Welcome to Fanboy and the Hater, a podcast hosted and produced by Mike Hall and Jim Harris, where we discuss the best and worst in movies, TV, and pop culture, edited by Jim Harris, and music by Mike Hall. Welcome, listeners, to another character-driven episode of the Fanboy and the Hater. And for this episode, I actually chose a comic book character. Woo! About a topic that I think Mike knows a little bit about, something called Batman? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> In fact, I think we previously did an episode on that. What was that called, Mike? I'm the goddamn Batman! Yes, indeed. It's actually one of our more popular episodes, so if you have not checked out that episode, please do so. So. One of the things that we had mentioned in that episode was sort of the how limited the live-action Batman stories have been, especially the limited appearances of the Bat family, more than just Batman. And I think that it's the other members of the Bat family that help you understand Batman more, especially one aspect of Batman. Batman has a lot of different dimensions to him, and Mike walked us through that in our previous episode. But one of the things that I keep coming back to is this core concept in Batman of the line that Batman won't cross, that killing the criminals. And I think that of all the people in the Bat family, I think the character that best exemplifies this conundrum is Damian Wayne, who, if you recall from our previous episode, I had never even heard of Damian Wayne. So in our previous episode, Mike explained who it was to me. I was like, oh, wow, that sounds like an amazing character. And Mike gave me some homework in that episode of some movies that he recommended. So I know that Damian Wayne, for, for people who may be familiar with the character, just like a lot of comic book characters, he has a vast and varied history. My knowledge of Damian Wayne that I'm coming to in this episode is basically coming from DC animated movies. So this is not the only, there's not a tremendous variation, but just like any comic book character, there is some variations to his story. But I have sort of what I call the Damian Wayne trilogy of DC animated films, Son of Batman, Batman vs. Robin, and Batman Bad Blood is basically where the core of how I know Damian Wayne comes from. And I like him as a character because in those movies he talks often has to recite the mantra, justice, not vengeance, to restrain himself and stop him from crossing that line that Batman won't cross. So before we start to geek out a little bit, maybe into the movies, do you have anything to share about, because you are our resident Batman expert, Mike. Do you have anything to share about Damien? Well, actually, I'm still fairly new to Damien as well, and I mostly only know him from the movies as well. I would argue about him being the one that exemplifies not killing. I don't know. Red Hood, Jason Todd, he, he's, I mean, he kills. And he, he, when he came back after being killed, he was brutally killing people. Um, he eventually would come back and kind of rejoin the Bat family reluctantly under the understanding that when he's working with the Bat family, he's not allowed to kill. Again, pretty reluctant. So I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up between those two. But I, I think for me, Damien's probably my favorite just because of his attitude. I mean, he is the most Batman-y Robin of all of them. He's definitely the most 
Batman-y Robin. And I also wanted to take a, a side note to try to make sure some people don't misunderstand that I'm not trying to make this the who's the best Robin episode, which is going to be odd because we are going to talk about the other Robins. And you just brought up Jason Todd, and I want to come back to that in a second. But my interest in Damien and in this discussion is not to argue about who the best Robin is. I just really like Damien for understanding the Batman line. The reason that I don't, and by the way, I guess we should probably have said this off the top, spoilers? Although, I think if you're listening to this episode, you're probably a Batman nerd. So, the fact that we're giving away some storylines, sorry. But Jason Todd, to me, he has one big story. And you mentioned the story that's, again, I know everything through the animated films. Batman Under the Red Hood is the animated film that tells you the Jason Todd story that you that you just alluded to. So in that movie, he gets captured and killed by Joker and then gets rescued by the League of Assassins or his body is taken by the League of Assassins and he's brought back to life by the Lazarus Pit. And then he dons the Red Hood and basically becomes the Killy Batman. So you could argue that he actually is the guy who did the killing, but... My argument against that is that Jason Todd got pushed to that after being murdered, resurrected, and then came to it. Damian Wayne, unlike any of the other Robins, starts on the other side of the line. Jason Todd, Dick Grayson, Tim Drake, all of them were on Batman's side of the line and got brought up to that line. And some of them, like Jason Todd, stepped over that line. Damien is born and bred on the other side of that line to the extent of what line? And when he's brought into Batman's world, he has a huge problem with the line right from the very beginning. So that's why I think Damien is better than Jason Todd to talk about the line. Oh, I don't disagree that he's, well, kind of give and take on that because in Jason Todd's storyline, I mean, he grew up in the streets, in the gutters of Gotham, he understands better than any of them what it means to be, like, under the heel and, and, and violent on the streets. And he often did get into arguments with Batman about why don't we just kill them and get rid of them, then it's not an issue anymore. And that's kind of what also led to what happened in Under the Red Hood. So, I, I agree. Um, Damien's a completely different character in, in that he was born on the other side of that line, but Jason Todd has always been teetering that line, even even from the beginning. He definitely had the roughest childhood of the non-Damian Robins. So he is interesting in that regard. It's also interesting in the sense that over the course of, not to take a comic book tangent, but it's also interesting to me that at various times, Tim Drake's backstory has been made darker at times. In fact, a few times they've even sort of blended Tim Drake and Jason Todd together a few times just to sort of maybe make Tim Drake's story a little bit darker. Also a little bit more interesting. And a, and a little bit more interesting. That's why, I, I, I mean, I know, it's not that I don't like Jason Todd, but I, I think him again as the one big story guy, other than the Red Hood type of stuff. Again, more tangents, but other than Batman Under the Red Hood, Batman A Death in the Family is a great movie, but it sucks on streaming services. 
because that movie is designed on DVD and Blu-ray has interactive features where basically you start out with the Batman under the Red Hood storyline and then you get to make choices to take the story in different directions. But when you watch it on streaming services, the interactive features are stripped out. So you basically just get under the Red Hood again. Yeah. Those two stories uh, are interesting. But other than like those two animated movies, Jason Todd pretty much isn't in anything else. Animated film-wise. Right, because he just kind of goes off and does his own thing. Like I said, he only... If there's something, some huge storyline that requires the entire Bat family, he may come in, or if he needs help with something or something like that. But otherwise, he's really not really in the Bat family all that often. Other than, I guess, Bat nerds might want to yell, Battle for the Cowl, that has... that where Basically, everybody is fighting to be the, new, the next Batman, and Jason Todd's in the mix on that as well, so... But again, for me, it's Jason Todd, the Red Hood. That's his one big story. And he doesn't really come up a lot in other things. Like one of the things I wanted to dive into a bit in this trilogy of Damian Wayne movies. And this happens a lot with with a lot of the things, too, because they have to kind of simplify the stories or streamline the stories for the movies. It's almost kind of like they're pretend like Damian Wayne in the books is the fifth Robin. Mm -hmm. In these movies, he's kind of assume it kind of act like he's the second robin like this movie kind of like ignores jason todd tim drake and stephanie brown i don't know if that's intentional or not or again just because it would be one more thing they would have to explain they kind of like ignore them i think you know tim drake is kind of his own thing where he he's there but he only shows up when he needs to so i don't know he's i i I don't know. Th- this whole thing kind of came up when I wasn't really reading comic books all that much, so I can't really say too much about the comic book side of things. But I think he was just not super well-liked, so they just kind of moved past him. But he can be interesting as well. And I think it's... I was thinking about it, and in the Batman episode, we talk about how his villains are different aspects of his personality. Well, also, the Robins are different aspects as well, if you think about it. Like... The original Dick Grayson Nightwing is just kind of his pure athletic ability. I see Red Hood, Jason Todd, as being his his aggression. I see Tim Drake as being the detective part. And I see Damian Wayne as being his discipline. That's a good way to break it down. That's actually the way I usually think of Tim Drake is as the detective. I mean, again, he also has multiple versions, but in one one version... He actually figures out who Batman and Robin are. Right. That's how he became Robin. That's how he became Robin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, th- and that aspect is emphasized in, in other media. But also, one of the things, that t- going back to maybe an example of what I was talking about before, about how sometimes, both in the comics and in the animation, they blend Tim Drake and Jason Todd together sometimes. Because Jason Todd was also somewhat unpopular in the comics it was actually you know they famously left it up to the reader to decide whether or not he would die because he was not very popular when he became the second robin but one of the movies i rewatched again recently was batman beyond the return of the joker Mm -hmm. which in that story tim drake is given a jason todd-esque kind of storyline in that story he actually gets kidnapped and tortured by the joker and snaps, and then Tim Drake actually kills the Joker. So 
that was and so as a, a way of and they only refer to Dick Grayson as one of the other Robins and that as well. So sometimes they do bring those guys up, but they either get blended together and they they do they are interesting stories like that Batman Beyond the Return of the Joker is a good movie. Batman Under the Red Hood is a good movie, but I kind of see them as like standalone stories. Whereas there's a lot more Damien stuff, not in in about five or six movies we'll talk about in this episode. But I also think that this seems to be more going on or more dedicated to Damien, at least in the animated films. Yeah. I do find it interesting that in the Young Justice television series, which I'm excited that they're bringing back another season of that, but all five Robins are in the Young Justice series In the first season of Young Justice, we see Dick Grayson as Robin. Then in the second season, which is five years into the future, we see Robin being taken over by Tim Drake because Dick Grayson has moved on to his Nightwing persona. But we do have an acknowledgement of Jason Todd's death happening in between seasons one and two. And even on the first mission that Tim goes out on for Young Justice as Robin sent by Nightwing, Nightwing tells him, don't die. We even briefly see later in, I think, season three of Young Justice, we briefly meet Stephanie Brown in one episode, who would actually be the person who briefly takes over for Tim Drake as the fourth Robin. We see her in her persona as the spoiler first, working with Tim Drake. She would later take over the role of Robin briefly in the comics. We also, even in one brief scene, see a post-resurrection, pre-Red Hood Jason Todd and Damian Wayne as a baby being held by Talia al Ghul. So all of the Robins... are actually in Young Justice, although it's really just Dick Grayson and Tim Drake that get any significant time, so far at least. But it's also interesting, again, it seems a lot when Damien is featured in any of the animation, be it a series or a movie, they kind of just conveniently ignore, other than Dick Grayson, who usually, usually in his Nightwing persona when we see him in these movies and series, they just ignore the other Robins. Right. And again, Amos might be just for streamlining the story so you don't have to keep explaining a, a million things to people. Of, oh, yeah, there were other people, too, but we're yeah. just talking about these. Well, I think to kind of bring it back a little bit and kind of when, when Damian Wayne came in, the Tim Drake Robin just kind of became Red Robin. And I think it was around that time also he decided he didn't really want to be Robin anymore, I think was part of it. And so now, he, like I said, he just kind of helps as needed. He didn't want to be the field guy Robin, unless he had to be. He was more of a, te- more like an Oracle type. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's like, they, I mean, I mean, they could have, they didn't have to, but they could have like given us a couple of throwaway lines in these Damien movies where they may, maybe at least referenced him or had like the Red Robin suit in the Batcave as well. I mean, again, it's not necessary. I mean, Batgirl is also not referenced until the very end of the trilogy either, so... Well, they're also trying to to build contention a little bit because throughout the entire Batman storyline, Dick Grayson has been, okay, you're basically his son and everybody else is more adopted, even though Dick Grayson was also adopted. Dick Grayson was really thought of like, he's, he's the Robin, he is Bruce's son. 
And then when Damien comes in as his actual blood son, it became a sibling rivalry between the two, which actually in the books, from what I understand, wasn't really even much of a thing. Like they would fight and stuff, but Nightwing would also kind of take Damien under his wing and be more of the the loving, caring sibling that he needed that he wasn't getting from Bruce. So they, they had a little bit more of a kinship there in those stories. And we see that too in, that's alluded to a little bit in these movies and in the Teen Titans movies where Damien appears, you see Nightwing acting like a, a big brother type of thing. Yeah. Relationship to him. So we've danced around it several times, but so if for anyone who's listening is like, who the hell is Damien Wayne? <laughs> <laughs> So the first of the movies I mentioned earlier, Son of Batman, is essentially Damian Wayne's origin story. So you don't have to recap the movie, but just give us the quick, like, who is Damian Wayne? At one point, Talia al Ghul basically drugged Bruce Wayne and had her way with him and became pregnant. And trained Damian Wayne from birth to be the son of the demon head to eventually, they were actually planning on using Damian Wayne's body for Ra's al Ghul to inhabit so that he can basically be reborn as a child. But first they had to train him up and make him strong enough. Now in the books that they, they mention, they don't really mention it in the movies, they don't say one way or another, but in the books they actually talk show that he was, while she became pregnant, he was actually basically a test tube baby because she didn't want to put her body through that. So he was actually kind of grown and manipulated to be the perfect human. Like, they actually manipulated his genes to be the perfect person. And so I think that also kind of builds a lot in his mentality of, I mean, he was, from, since birth, he was born and raised and trained to basically take the mantle of, uh, he was actually also supposed to kill Batman, take Batman's place while also being the, the body host for Ra's al Ghul. And he was told this, he was trained for this his entire life. He never had a childhood. All he ever knew was training and discipline. Knowing that he is supposed to be the perfect person. And so he's got all that weight. And when we meet him, he's, what, nine, ten years old? Yeah. With all that weight and no childhood or anything. So that is Damon Wayne when we meet him. Right. So again, Raisha Ghoul is the head of the League of Assassins. And Talia is Raish's daughter. So if we didn't specify that enough. And I kind of figured anybody listening to this probably already knew that. Well, to say, yeah, a lot of the people <laughs> listening to this episode are probably bat nerds who are probably more yelling at us for the things that we're not explaining or not explaining right. enough than people who are like, oh, thanks for that information. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is part. And, and the idea of like the genetic manipulation as opposed to just a like natural birth comes back a bit in the third movie bad blood when we get a version of heretic but we'll get to that in a bit because mm -hmm. one of the things that we'll see as we go through the the movies is the well if damien doesn't like bruce why doesn't damien go back to his mother and we'll, we'll come back to why that wouldn't wouldn't necessarily have worked out but in that first movie we get that story basically deathstroke who is also tied to the League of Assassins and is pissed because basically Damien is taking, from his perspective, is taking his place to take over for Raish, whereas Deathstroke, Slade Wilson, Slade, 
was supposed to be the person <laughs> to take over for Raish. So Deathstroke attacks the League of Assassins and actually kills Raish. And Talia and Damien flee. And Talia just brings Damien to drop him off with Bruce and say, Hey, you have a kid. Take care of him for a while while I go deal with other stuff. So in j- just, just I hate to be that person, but I love <laughs> to be that person. <laughs> he was actually supposed to take Raish al Ghul's place until Raish became aware of Bruce Wayne. And then he was cast aside for Bruce Wayne. Yes, I'm just saying that in this movie, they reposition it that Deathstroke's pissed at Damien, not at Bruce. Okay. That's the only thing I'm saying. I'm not disagreeing with what you just said. But in this movie, again, going back to the whole thing of they, they sometimes just need to streamline stuff. In this movie, they kind of present it more that Deathstroke is trying to get rid of Damien and Rage or is mad at Damien because... Well, they talk about that in that movie. He's trying to kill them all because he doesn't want any other heirs. He's trying to kill everybody that's going to possibly take over so that he can have the league. Right, yeah. So, yeah, he's trying to get rid of everybody else, including including Bruce. So, yes. And then at the end, I mean, we don't have to go through that whole movie. Basically, at the end, Deathstroke gets defeated and is left to die, but doesn't die because it's comics. And well, I mean, he can't really die. Yeah, true. And then at the end of that movie, Talia is basically going off to rebuild the League of Assassins and wants Damien to come with her. And Damien wants to stay behind with his father for a little while longer. And Talia is willing to let him go because she has other things that she needs to do, which we come back to later in the third movie. So the first movie's okay. It like I like it. It establishes who Damien is. But the best of the three is Batman versus Robin. For, for me, at least. Okay. Because this is like, it's not just the best of these three movies. It's actually one of my favorite animated movies. It's actually one of the best Batman stories, in my opinion. Because so much stuff happens in the movie that if you don't know a lot about Batman, you could just enjoy the movie as it is. But if you know enough about Batman, and I am nowhere near as familiar with Batman as you are. But if you know enough about the Batman stories and the Batman themes... There's a lot of stuff that happens sort of in the background that works as sort of metaphors, allegories, and questions about the entire Batman story that is addressed in Batman versus Robin. Like the first, the opening eight minutes of Batman versus Robin, which is sort of the opening scene prior to the opening credits rolling, it basically starts off with, again, this is me seeing it this way. I'm not saying that this is necessarily what they meant to do. But to me, the opening of the movie is like a nod to Jason Todd. Because at the beginning of the movie, Damien, as Robin, is going off on his own into a warehouse where a bad guy is. Which is basically how Jason Todd got killed by the Joker. Although Damien is different because even though he he goes in alone, instead of dying, he ends up being suspected of actually killing the criminal, which is the doll maker in this scene. The audience sees that Talon uh, from the Court of Owls actually kills the doll maker. But that sort of like nod to Jason Todd. And then the other thing that I really like in that, in that opening sequence is the doll maker is abducting children and weaponizing them by turning them into killing dolls. And even Damien sort of jokes, not jokes, but sarcastically says to Batman, it's like, why do you even care about a doll maker? Oh, yeah, weaponizing children is kind of your thing, which is kind of like a dig at Batman, 
for like all of the people he's brought into the bat family and basically as children and then weaponized to fight on his behalf. So there's a whole lot of, again, this is me reading into it, but that's a whole lot of stuff I saw going on yeah. in just like the first eight minutes of the movie. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a lot of Damien's dialogue in these movies that he almost also takes the place of the Watcher. And he says things that a lot of fans have been saying for years. As a fan, it's good to hear that actually being addressed, or at least being said in those movies. Yes, and that's what I mean if... I was saying, it's like, if you know enough about, a little bit about Batman, it's interesting to hear those things. Because even like the doll maker himself tries to justify what he does to the kids, saying that he's helping them survive in this sad, cruel world. Which you could think of as, well, is that kind of what Bruce thinks he's doing by recruiting all of the Bat family to help these children survive in this sad, cruel world? So there's a lot going on there, too, in terms of like, criticizing as I'll come back to at the end of is what Batman's doing right or wrong. And, and yeah. this movie actually tackles this a lot on, on several different le- uh, levels, but right out of the gate, it tackles that. But we also see the whole thing in that opening sequences while Rob, so Batman's on his way. Robin just gets there first. Batman's like Damien and Damien's like, yeah, I know justice, not vengeance. And he has to keep repeating that mantra. Damien that does has to keep repeating that mantra to himself, not only during that sequence, but throughout the movies, to keep reminding himself of, oh, there's a line that Batman has drawn that I'm not supposed to cross, which doesn't make sense to Damien, but he has to keep reminding himself of that, or else it's just too easy for him to fall back into the assassin he was raised and trained to be. The movie then continues to expand from there, of again, the whole challenge that Damien just doesn't like Bruce's way of doing things. He doesn't really agree with that line. And then to add another layer to it, we have the Court of Owls, which is actually what the movie's story is based on, is that comic run or comic issue. And then we have Talon, who is sort of like the lead assassin for the Court of Owls, which is kind of like the Batman that Damien wants Batman to be, would be one way I would describe, because Talon also fights crime. But he basically, and in a way, Talon is almost like the Red Hood. He's almost like another nod to Jason Todd because Talon is like, Batman doesn't go far enough. He doesn't kill the criminals. What good is it of putting them in prison or Arkham or whatever? If you really want to clean up Gotham, you got to put these people down. Yeah, there's a few others too that that all tie in together, but we're not talking about them, so I'll let it go. Oh, I mean, in the in the entire pantheon of Batman villains, you mean, or well, and tied with Court of Owls and stuff too. But oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Again, th- this is not the entirety of the. This is just, within this one Court of Owls story. Yeah, Talon sort of represents that, both for almost like the version of Batman that Damien wants Batman to be, almost again the version of the Red Hood that Jason Todd becomes. There's also an interesting thing that happens sort of later in the movie where the the Court of Owls basically, we, we find out, recruited Talon when he was a street thug kid, very Jason Toddish, and trained him to be Talon. The only difference there is like they trained him to be Achille Batman without them being Batman, as if like they were Bruce, but Bruce training and weaponizing kids and putting them out there to fight without him actually going out there with him. 
And Bruce just stayed in the cave and sent the Bat family out to do all of the fighting and didn't give them a line that they couldn't cross is one yeah. way to interpret what the Court of Owls is doing with Talon. That's how they adapted it with that movie, yeah. So basically, Damien is getting recruited by Talon to join him instead of joining Batman. And he keeps trying to get Damien to kill. Like, they go break up some big criminal guy. And Damien's like, well, we've collected the evidence. You know, he's, th- that's good enough. And Talon's like, well, that guy has lawyers and he won't ever go to jail. This sort of like, the, one of the common criticisms of Batman is like, arresting them and putting them in jail or putting them in Arkham doesn't actually solve anything because all of the criminals come back around right. again. So it's, again, sort of a general criticism of not just a not killing the criminals thing, but is even the, the entire approach that Batman is taking to, quote-unquote, crime fighting actually making a difference. Yeah, and he's, he's also trying to recruit him to take his place. Yes. Well, yeah, Talon is also double-crossing Damien because he wants Damien to take his place because the Court of Owls has this, like, weird thing where, like, they kill you and they reanimate you for 24 hours so that you're this like immortal warrior but only for 24 hours thing i don't know if that's from the comics or something i don't remember to be honest with you yeah that basically what i took it as is like basically when their talons die then they basically more or less freeze them and then they can reanimate them briefly because the very first time i saw the movie i was confused because because at one point in the movie while batman is investigating who actually killed the doll maker because they he finds a a an owl feather. And there is an actual nice little like flashback sequence to Bruce as a kid being told the story of the court of owls and Bruce thinking initially that the owls were responsible for his parents' death. So there's a nice little undercurrent there. That's nice. But in that scene, you know, Batman gets attacked in a museum by a bunch of these talons. And I was initially confused because Batman kills a couple of them. and was like, Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> but we kind of see that they're like zombified things yeah. that even if he didn't kill them they would just sort of die on their own and he noticed right away like before he started even going down that road like what he broke one of their arms and they like stood up and fixed it kind of realized what they were and he ripped off one of their masks to see that they were zombies before he went down that road of killing them exactly but it also is interesting to see it's one of those things that sometimes annoys me about Batman. Like, he was in basically a kill-or-be-killed fight with those things. And I've often wondered, is like, shouldn't if it was more realistic, shouldn't Batman have at least been forced to kill at some point over his long career? Been in situations where like, like that, like, if he didn't kill, he would have been killed? Or accidentally killed someone? Like, throws a batarang and someone steps into it and takes it in the neck or something. <laughs> and then once he accidentally does it or is forced to do it, he's just like, fuck it, I'll just start killing. To the best of my knowledge, we've never really had that in any of the Batman stories. Um, I don't remember if I've seen it in any of the animated, but that does happen sometimes. Okay. Because there's even like a part like where like Damien again sort of like is yelling at Bruce at one point in the movie. It's like, what if Damien had actually been killed by the doll maker? Would Bruce then kill the doll maker? Like he keeps us like, well, is there is it really a no kill rule, or are there actually exceptions to the no kill rule? And Bruce keeps like, no, there's no exceptions. Yeah, Damien's like, that doesn't make sense. <laughs> and a part of me is like, a little bit of that is me thinking, yeah, in a way. I mean, I like Batman. I'm not saying I don't like Batman, but it is one of the things about Batman that 
does occasionally annoy me that it just doesn't make sense that he doesn't ever cross that line under any circumstances. I think it makes him a little more interesting because he always finds a way. I know. Again, it makes him uh, a different kind of hero, and he should be the way that he is. But occasionally, it just irritates me. But I like the fact that they find ways to bring this up. And that's why I, I picked Damian Wayne to approach that line, because I think he's the one who has the greatest difficulty with it and could easily slip into doing it differently. Like at one point in the Batman versus Robin movie, there's a, a drug-induced thing where Bruce Batman gets drugged by the Court of Owls and he has this hallucination. And in it, he imagines Damien growing up and taking on the mantle of Batman and killing everybody. So basically, the and the whole idea that in that hallucination, them telling him is like, what did you think was happening? Like, by creating Batman in the first place, you set this course of events into motion that this was how it was always going to end. Your vigilante justice was always going to end in just people getting murdered. Not just the criminals, but like everybody. Like, there's a scene where like, pretty much like, all of the Batman characters are dead. <laughs> and Damien has killed them all. So again, sort of like, it was a hallucination, but it was still another point of, is the Batman thing really make sense? And yeah, like you said, it's there's often criticisms there, and that's, again, we're, like I said, it's this Damon Wayne Robin verbalizes and brings up a lot of those criticisms. Yep, verbalizes and brings it up, but also I think, again, just the, the story that's going on all around them in this particular movie, I think, does a really great job. Again, you don't have to be looking for these things, and if you and if you don't have the background in Batman, you won't be able to enjoy the movie, you will. But I think that you there are things like that that will pop up that will make you think a bit more about some of this stuff. Even, again, we mentioned the whole Dick Grayson versus Damien in terms of, like, who's Batman's real son? Damien actually emotionally hurts Dick by saying, you're just some orphan he found. I'm his blood. And Damien actually physically hurts Nightwing, Dick Grayson, <laughs> because he's one of the things that we've seen in other movies, too. Is like Damien doesn't spar. When Damien fights, he fights. So like Nightwing is trying not to hurt Damien. Damien is trying to essentially kill Nightwing while they're sparring. <laughs> well, that's also because of the way he was raised. I mean, he raised he was raised killing assassins every day. Exactly. As part of his training. Right. You win a fight to win a fight. And if that means you have to kill your opponent, so be it. The idea of just sparring just for sparring sake comes up. And then there's also a nice scene where like Bruce basically is like, you know what? is fed up with Damien. It's like, you know what? There's a military school in Switzerland run by this retired general who knows more about disciplining children than me. And then when they, when he goes out in the hallway, him and Dick, and Dick is basically saying, I ain't being kind of a little harsh. I was kind of like him too when I was his age. And Bruce is like, you were different, Dick. You had, before you came to me, you had loving parents and a heart. Meaning like, you were like a normal kid. You had a childhood. You grew up. And unlike probably any of the other Robins, Dick Grayson had the closest thing to a happy childhood and a loving family mm -hmm. before his family gets killed and he comes into Batman's world. And Bruce is like, you can't compare yourself to Damien. He didn't have that. From birth, he's been raised and trained to be a killer. Right. And Bruce is like, maybe I should just send him off to 
a military school because there's nothing I can do with him. So again, that's why I was saying before, Jason Todd was a much more troubled kid than Dick. And some versions of Tim Drake were a much more troubled kid than Dick. But Damien's in a whole other category of, as Bruce says in this, maybe I, maybe this is one kid Bruce can't help, which is also frustrating to him because it's his actual child. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of complexity and dynamics to the relationships. And that's what I really like about bringing Damon Wayne in was it just added a whole new aspect to everybody's characters. It does, because it, it makes you reevaluate, because there have been other times where we've seen... And again, you don't really see that in this movie. In, in this series of movies, we see the version of Nightwing who has basically made his peace with Bruce and with Batman and his, his ally, and we're skipping over the the Dick Grayson fuck Batman years and becoming Nightwing sort of as a doing it his own way and, and not wanting anything to do with Bruce or Batman. So we're past those years and those have been done obviously in, in other stories and in other media so that we can focus all of the anti-Bruce angst in the Damien character. But obviously that has isn't rooted in the history of, of Dick Grayson as well. But I still think it's a more interesting more interesting to see how Damien handles that same challenge coming into it from a completely different perspective. Some of that kind of comes up again in uh, Bad Blood. Yes. So yeah, Bad Blood is, is the is the next movie. And I like, I like all three of the movies. Uh, Bad Blood, other things are happening in Bad Blood, not to get into it, like Batwoman, like the new 52 version of Batwoman. Kate Kane is in it. Luke Fox takes on the Batwing mantle. So there are other things happening in Bad Blood. But the core of Bad Blood that's interesting is, and why I call it a trilogy, is the movies flow perfectly. Like the, the end of uh, Batman versus Robin, Batman lets Damien go, which is also different. Damien is 10 years old, and he just lets Damien walk away, which is not something he would have let the other Robins do. But he tells Damien about this monastery in the Himalayas that helped Bruce when Bruce was struggling with... Because uh, Damien's like, I, I don't know who I am. You're in my head. Talia is in my head. Raish is in my head. Talon's in my head. Who am I? And he's like, okay, why don't you go figure out who you are? And he goes at the end of the movie to that monastery in the Himalayas, which is where he's at at the very beginning of Bad Blood. Because at the beginning of Bad Blood, Batman has disappeared. And temporarily, Dick Grayson becomes Batman. <laughs> Which does happen. I mean, that, that's kind of a common thread in a lot of the mo uh, books and stuff is when Batman disappears, when Bruce disappears, Dick Grayson takes up the mantle just to show that doesn't have to be Bruce or to show criminals that Batman's still there. Right. So, I mean, so Damien still hadn't figured out what the hell he wanted to do, but he comes back when he sees Bruce is missing. And <laughs> he's basically immediately, you know, so Nightwing wearing the Bat costume is playing Batman. And Damien's like, yeah, what are you doing, Grayson? And he's like, do you want a bullhorn to announce that? <laughs> <laughs> so knowing that Batman was missing and seeing that Batman reappeared, Damien immediately knows that's not Bruce, that's Dick Grayson. Which you can tell by the fighting style. He could tell by the fighting style, yeah, that that's not the real Batman. So then we find out as part of the... Uh, there are other things that happen in the movie, but one of the things that some people might ask, well, if Damien doesn't like his father, 
and he's trying to figure out what he wants to do, and he seems more comfortable with being on the other side of the line, well, then why don't he just go back to his mother, go back to Talia, to the League of Assassins? And for me, one of the things that this movie does is it shows why that would not be a viable option. (laughs) Talia al Ghul is not mother of the year. Bruce Wayne is not father of the year. But Talia al Ghul is pretty evil in this movie. Um, yes and no. Um, so this has actually been something that I've been confused about and what you meant when you kept saying that she wasn't a viable option because the last time we saw, it was very much an option. And I saw it as he chose to go with Batman because he felt he'd already learned everything he could from Talia. And there was a lot more he could learn from Bruce from there on. And it's not so much that he doesn't care about Bruce. He's just very frustrated and confused by all of these new rules and ways of doing things because he's a child and he's lived a very specific way his entire life. His child brain can't comprehend the changes yet. And he's still coming to terms with that. And when he went off on his own, that Bruce let him do that because that's exactly what he did about that age. And he understood that that's what Damien needed. Oh, no, I agree. The only reason I was saying that, not at the beginning, I said by the end of Bad Blood, we see why going back to Talia wouldn't have been viable. Because we see a different aspect of Talia, and here's where we get into the... So Batman got kidnapped by Talia and is basically being brainwashed. We also see... And this is a character that's been done differently in the comics or a couple of different ways in the comics. We see a character called Heretic, who's with Talia al Ghul. And then we find out that Heretic is actually a genetic clone of Damien, but as an adult. Yeah. And that version of Damien is also ruthless, but he, at one point, like he wants to kind of like steal like the memories of young Damien so that he can become a more complete version of himself because he feels like there's something missing too and he wants to learn more about how he can like have affection for his mother and have those type of memories and when he tells Talia al Ghul that he wants to do that Talia kills him and that pisses Damien off because then that's why I was, that's when Damien is like, so you never really cared about me. I'm just a means to an end. Going back to what you were saying earlier, the whole idea of a body for Raish needing to kill Batman, that Talia is not a loving mother. She's just basically using him. And the, the heretic thing crystallizes that, at least for, one, for me when I was watching yeah. it, for Damien that, oh, wow, I definitely... If I ever had decided to, I definitely couldn't go back to Talia. So that's all I meant. I suppose. I, I guess from my perspective when I was watching, I guess for me it's like nothing would nothing changed. She was never loving. She was never comforting. She was never any of that. Well, I guess, and again, I'm reading a lot into it because there's not something on there. But I think that if there was ever any anything where Damien may have just assumed that he meant something to Talia because Talia was his mother. That could be. And it w- it became brutally obvious to him that he didn't when Talia kills Heretic. 
So yeah, I don't think that there was ever like a loving mother son relationship between Talia and Damien because yeah. that's not how he was raised. But we saw at the end of Batman versus Robin, Damien and Bruce hug. They do have sort of a father son moment, and Damien seems to be sort of struggling with some type of a parent child relationship. Yeah, with someone complicated like Bruce, and if his mind again, he's a child. If his mind was thinking. Well, maybe there's some type of a parent-child relationship I could also have with my mom. I think that died when she killed Heretic. Again, that's just me reading into it, but yeah. that's what I took away from it. Without disagreeing, I would just throw in the other part of Heretic was just simply a clone, and they'd also mentioned that he was one of many, many clones that had all perished. Yeah, he was the only one that survived. Yeah, so I guess... And it could be reading into it because, again, child brain seeing that, oh, that was me. That, but also the detective clear thinking, very intelligent side of him would think, okay, that was just another clone and she didn't care about the clones. That could be. I guess a certain, I guess based on the way he was raised, I guess the idea of failure being met with death would not have been something that would be right. unusual to him to understand. But it wasn't that Heretic failed Talia. He simply wanted to be a more complete version of Damien. But that was a failure because then he wasn't fulfilling his purpose. He was he wasn't he was no longer just the weapon. He was trying to be independent. Right. But again, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but again, to me it made it seem like that that's all Damien was was a weapon. And maybe he understood that on some level. But again, like you said, he's a, he's still a child. And like I said, I'm not disagreeing with you. I was just adding another angle to it. Understood. So then at the end of that movie, he's still, Damien's still not really like 100% on board with the whole justice, not vengeance thing. But he's kind of like at least willing to give it a try. Because at the end of the movie, he's basically part of the Bat family. And we have sort of like, everybody's together. Stracopose. Yes, exactly. We have everybody. We have Batman. We have Nightwing. We have Damien. We have Batwoman. We have Batwing. And even a cameo by Batgirl at the very end. <laughs> but still no Red Robin or Red Hood. Exactly. That's what I mean. It's like, whether it was intentional or not, again, they could have thrown in a few lines of dialogue or something like that, but they kind of ignore Red Hood and Red Robin, Jason Todd and Tim Drake in these three movies. Whether intentionally or not, I might have, I mean, I didn't mind that Batwoman and Batwing were in Bad Blood, but it might have been more interesting for Red Hood and Red Robin to show up instead. I agree. Or maybe in addition to. Yeah. I mean, not maybe not to have like a big scene out of it, but like when Bruce disappears, maybe that's Tim and Jason would at least stop by. I think it would be interesting to have Tim there uh, helping try to locate him. Yeah, for with his detective skills, at least. Right. Yeah, maybe Red Hood, Jason wouldn't. But I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't know. A mention, a brief cameo, as opposed to... I mean, not, it's not like a lot of the movie goes to Batwoman and Batwing, but it's a tiny part of the movie. But there was room in the movie to do something else. Yeah. Maybe it would have been interesting to do Red Robin and Red Hood instead of... Although, again, they're putting all of that stuff, like we've been saying, the Jason, Todd, Red Hood stuff is basically all being put on Damien, and he kind of 
why have another character have that same perspective? And then I'm not really sure what Red Robin would add to the movie anyway, because like you said, he left for different reasons. Yeah. So, eh. But that's that's the end of, again, those three movies, which I call the Damian Wayne trilogy. And that's where I base my whole, and also not just me basing my whole knowledge of Damian Wayne comes from, but there are a couple of other movies that I'd like to mention, which get into the Teen Titans and Justice League universe, where they are kind of a continuation of those same movies because they were made a few years later, where I, I, I look at that as that's the Damien that's in those Teen Titans and Justice League movies. Yeah. So that's why, again, there are other versions of him, but that's who we see. So like the next movie I had on my list was Justice League versus Teen Titans, which I like for many reasons. And it's a, it's another one. A lot of stuff is going on because it's the Justice League and the Teen Titans. So it's two big teams. So it's a huge ensemble. But the core of the story is at the very beginning, <laughs> Damien is working as Batman's sidekick with the Justice League and is annoyed by it. And basically Batman decides, you know what? You should go spend some time with the Teen Titans because you can, you know, learn a little bit more about teamwork and be around other superheroes your own age. Right. So he kind of sends him to Nightwing, who's helping run the Teen Titans, to get some perspective, learn some teamwork, and be around heroes his own age. Yeah, because big surprise, the kid that was that grew up as an assassin learning discipline and anger and violence throughout his entire life, he kind of struggles in social situations. Which in, in a weird way, his inability to also, his also inability to work as a team is somewhat a bit of an, an allegory for how many times Batman has struggled to right. work with a team. Which goes back to me saying he's the most Batman Robin of all of them. Yes, exactly. And again, back to my other lament that we, we very rarely see any of the Bat family in the live action movies. So a lot of people, especially if they come from it from the live action movies, are probably confused by Batman being anything other than a solo hero. Whereas the Bat family has a lot of other stories that we just haven't seen in, in live action. Or they think Robin is a 30-year-old man that does ninja laundry. <laughs> Exactly. That is not any other story. <laughs> the other thing about the beginning of Justice League versus Teen Titans, before we get into the other aspect of a story that I thought was awesome, is that I mentioned earlier, Damien doesn't understand the concept of sparring. A spar to him is a fight, and he always takes it too far. So when he goes to Titan's Tower, he spars with... Blue Beetle, the Jaime version of Blue Beetle, who has the Scarab, and he's beating the crap out of Jaime, and the Scarab gets pissed off and almost kills Damien. Because again, Damien is not sparring, he's fighting and beating the crap out of him, and then the Scarab that is part of Blue Beetle blasts Damien practically to the point of killing him. Which was almost like another thing that Damien needed a little bit of a a humility lesson. Yeah. That's like, yeah, you might be able to kick like normal people's ass, but metahumans or other superpowers could fuck you up. And he gets almost killed by Blue Beetle. Right. And also goes into helping him to understand why Batman is 
slow and patient and planning instead of just jumping in and taking care of it. Yes, exactly. Attacking without thinking, without tactics, without strategy, without figuring out the best course of action, without understanding your opponent first and just assuming that you can win. But it also leads almost immediately into what I see as the real core of the story, or at least the core of the movie that interests me, is Raven steps in and heals Damien. And in the act of healing Damien, they kind of do a mind meld and they see each other's life. So Damien sees a little bit about what Raven's struggling and vice versa. Raven sees what Damien is struggling. And it sets up, again, for me, the allegory of two characters wrestling with inner demons. Obviously, Raven's is a literal inner demon. And also wrestling with expectations of a father that they can't or don't want to live up to. Again, Raven's father wants something very different from her (laughs) than Damien's father wants from him. But there's a parallel there that they play on uh, as part of one of the core uh, themes of that movie. All right. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. Again, a lot of other things are going on, but that helps them sort of connect a little bit in a way. And they actually form, they form a connection that gradually becomes romantic over several other movies. But... They, they see sort of, it's the first time, like you had mentioned before, Damien has no social skills. And part of their bonding is like they go and they try to take him to a carnival and, and have him like interact with people as a normal kid. And part of that is he, he starts to bond a little bit with Raven. And he also helps Raven sort of overcome, helps Raven with her battle with Trigon, who becomes basically Trigon. Raven's dad is the big bad guy of that movie. He takes over the... Justice League, and that's why the Teen Titans have to fight the Justice League, because they're possessed by Trigon. There's even a scene where Damien goes to Azeroth uh, with Raven, and while there, he encounters and fights Ra's Ghul, who basically says, where do you think the Lazarus Pit's powers come from? Meaning that he's always been associated in some way with Trigon, which I don't know if that's how it was in the comics or not, but that was the other way they kind of like tied them together a bit. Well, you also notice that after he beheads him, he turns into a demon, like one of Trigon's demons. So that it's left up to interpretation there. It is left up to interpretation. But that whole idea of that, again, the, the inner demons that both Raven and Damien share, again, it, it comes back up again as a, a subtle plot point. It's the beginning of a romantic relationship for them that is touched upon briefly uh, over the course of, of a couple of other crossover movies with the Teen Titans and the Justice League. But that's the reason why I kind of put it on my list. It's not part of the Damian Wayne trilogy that I called, but I like the Justice League versus Teen Titans because we did see a little bit more of Damian's attempt to be not a kid, but to socialize with other people and continue his try to his attempt to understand the the line, the justice, not vengeance. And also that there are more, there is more to, that there might be something else for him to learn outside of his, you know, growing up in the League of Assassins. Not just from Batman, but also from the other superheroes as well. Right. The other two movies, just to, I guess to complete that theme, there's Teen Titans and the Judas Contract, which is a really good movie. It's actually one of my favorite Teen Titans movies. This same version of Damien 
is in that movie. He's not a big part of that story, other than the fact that, as in most Teen Titans movies, Deathstroke is the villain. So there is a little bit of a, hey, you must have gotten to a Lazarus pit because I almost killed you back in Son of Batman, so you're back now, and I don't like you, blah, 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 but it's kind of like a side part of the story. But at the the very end of of that movie, Raven gives Damien a puppy. (laughs) It's kind of stupid, but it was kind of another one of those things of another... They're trying to bond together and Raven and they're trying to help each other act more like normal humans because Raven isn't a normal human either. And Damien, Damien, as we've said, isn't either either. Well, that was that was also kind of a call back to the comics because in the comics over time, he actually had several pets. And that's kind of what he used to try to learn to care about life. Oh, by taking care of the animals? Yeah. Oh, okay. That makes sense then. Yeah, I was wondering if there was some meaning to why he was given a puppy as opposed to some other gesture. Well, yeah, because that's what li- why life matters. Puppies. Puppies. <laughs> and it was a cute black lab puppy. You think he named it Chelsea? I hope he named him Chelsea. We have a, a podcast listeners. We have a friend, Trey, who has a beautiful lab named Chelsea that we love very much. So the other, only other movie that I would say that sort of continues or finishes at least the Raven that Damian Wayne is actually plays an important part of and also continues that whole Damian Raven thing is Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, which is actually relatively recent. I think it just came out last year. So again, it's another one of those big team up movies, Justice League, Titans, Dark Side is Invading Earth. The Justice League is going to try to do something about it. The Titans are going to try to protect Earth. Everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. (laughs) As it does. As it does in these movies. It's actually a pretty, it's a pretty cool movie because, I mean, it's very violent and a lot of heroes get killed. It's, it's, It's a fun movie. But one part of the movie, so like Superman decides basically to take the Justice League and some of the Titans and try to attack Darkseid on Apocalypse. And it, and it fails, and we flash ahead a couple of years to the Earth has been destroyed, and some of the survivors are surviving members of the Justice League and Titans. And they go and find Damien, who's basically kind of gone back to sort of like a League of Assassins, League of Shadows type world with Lady Shiva, not to go too far down that hole, but he basically criticizes the whole thing. It's like, well, obviously, like Superman's plan failed. It's like, you can't, you know, an army without killers is no army at all. So basically his whole sort of dig at, yeah, superheroes aren't going to be able to do anything in an actual war because you guys don't know how to kill people. <laughs> yeah. And he's not wrong. And he and he's not wrong. The whole idea is like, it's not just Batman that has lines that he won't cross. It's Superman and, and other characters in the Justice League, too. So he has that sort of interesting role to play in that and also too raven uh is involved as well and and also in that storyline batman gets mind controlled by dark side and has become dark side's right hand man and taking advantage of of batman's uh genius and his batman and batman's ability of, of planning and strategy and all this type of stuff so they also recruit damien to try to reach bruce to undo dark side's brainwashing because we saw 
and even Damien says, well, you know, he was able to overcome Talia's brainwashing, referencing the events of Bad Blood, that if anybody can overcome the brainwashing, it would be his father. And if not, I'll kill him because that's what he would want me to do. So he goes there not just to try to help, but to kill Batman slash Bruce Wayne if it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> yeah. And he gets help also from Raven. So there's actually a part of the, of the movie where basically Batman almost kills Damien. And when they actually fight, because we, we saw them fight in like Batman versus Robin and Damien like fucks up Batman. But in uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, Batman's just like, I'm not trying to let you win this time. So Batman fucks up Damien and basically is about to kill Damien. And then that, that act of him uh, almost killing Damien, he flashes back to when he was a, when Bruce was a kid being held at gunpoint by the guy that killed Bruce's parents. And that triggers Bruce to break Darkseid's brainwashing. Damien then dies or uh, appears to die. And his last words to Batman slash Bruce are, you have to help them remember, Father, justice, not vengeance. And then Damien dies, and Bruce Batman is crying. Raven then turns into the White Raven, which is a whole other tie-in to Teen Titans storyline, and revives Robin, revives Damien, so he's not dead anymore. But it was nice to see that it brought the whole Damien story, for me, all the way around to... Even in the very end, he's the one in, in rescuing, bringing Bruce slash Batman back from Darkseid's control, that even with his dying breath, he says, justice, not vengeance. Because all throughout that movie, there's a whole lot of shit that people should want to get vengeance for. <laughs> that is all correct. <laughs> if there was ever a time that says, fuck it, let's just kill people because there's a lot of shit we have to kill people for, that movie showed it. But the fact that he's the one who has to tell Batman justice, not vengeance, was something I thought was fun. And then at the very end of that movie, Raven and Damien actually do kiss. So they are actually officially Aww. a romantic couple at that point. Eh, for about 30 seconds. For about 30 seconds until Flash is going to maybe do a Flashpoint thing again. But that's a whole other thing. So that kind of brought their whole... Story, plus also the fact that at one point during the movie, Raven and Damien went their separate ways. And we find out that Raven says, it's because my father threatened to kill you. Trigon's basically like trying to get released. He's like, I'll kill the boy, meaning that I'll kill Damien. Because also in that movie, they tell each other that they love each other, too. They don't just yeah. kiss. So they profess their love for each other. Because Trigon knows that Raven loves Damien, he's threatening Raven like... You got to do what I want you to do or I will kill Damien. So that's all wrapped up in there too. Again, which is sort of like, that's what I was saying earlier, is kind of the continuation of the tiny little threads of that story that were started back in Justice League versus Teen Titans and Justice League, the Judas Contract, and then this Justice League Dark, the Apocalypse War. Yeah. And a whole bunch of other stuff is happening, but that's the Damien Wayne aspects of it. What I really like about Damon Wayne in these movies and just in general is he's he's such a newer character that he hasn't had to be reinvented yet. So all the storylines all flow together still. 
Yeah, exactly. So there's not a lot. Even in the comics, there's been a, a couple of different versions or a couple of different minor variations. But like you said, he's a relatively new character. So in all of the recent DC animated universe, it's pretty much a, a continuation. Whereas some of the other characters like, hey, that person's a little bit different than they were in this other movie. He's pretty much the same. I, I shouldn't say the same. Character development is happening across yeah. multiple movies. Well, except for the except for Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, he's pretty different in that one. He's he's all childlike and jokey and But that's all I think more the nature of that movie though. Yeah. they they made that movie more more on the uh, campy Batman style. Plus the altered universe of the Harley Quinn animated series where he just plays a, a silly bratty kid that nobody takes seriously. But again, that's a whole other like universe that's not supposed to have any continuity with the one that we've been talking about. So yeah, you're right. There, there isn't a lot of variation in, in the animation that he's been featured in, in in the films because of the fact that he is relatively new. Again, there have been different, I don't know, different versions or different stories for the other Robins where it's been relatively consistent for, for Damien, at least what we've seen so far. Correct. Again, I picked Damian Wayne, uh, as I said off the top, because I thought, from my perspective, he best exemplified the line that Batman won't cross, the killing the criminals line, and the whole thing about justice, not vengeance. Batman is a violent vigilante. Batman is a criminal who basically fights other criminals, and he has this sort of concept of, of justice, not vengeance, but is it really justice, or is what Batman doing really just constrained vengeance. I mean, it depends on the storyline. It depends on the writer. It depends on a lot of things. But generally speaking, the idea of Batman has always been he's only violent because he needs to be. And the goal is rehabilitation. And so that's why he's he won't kill. Because in his mind, everybody can be rehabilitated. Even the Joker could be if he could if he could just get through to him, even the Joker could be rehabilitated. And that's the idea of Batman and why he refuses to kill. Have there been success I mean, there have been stories where that attempted rehabilitation has been highlighted and of course it fails and the criminal reasserts themselves. Have there been stories where it has been that he's successfully rehabilitated someone? Yeah, it goes back to one of the characters I was going to mention earlier, but decided not to. Uh, when we talk about the Court of Owls, I believe that's where he started. And I always end up saying the name wrong because I get mixed up. It's, I think it's Azuel, but I always call it Azrael, who uh, I believe he was originally a Talon and then kind of got converted and, and realized he'd been brainwashed. He actually, when, uh, when Batman's back got broken by Bane, he became Batman for a while. But yeah, he's he's one that became rehabilitated and and kind of became an extent extension of the Bat family. Red Hood, I mean, he he kind of got brought back, and again, like I said, he he got brought back into the Bat family as somebody that is is more nonviolent. There have been other criminals that they started off as criminals, and now they're just trying to get their lives together. It happens, not often because you need villains and villains people recognize, but it happens. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, one of the other, that doesn't relate to Damian Wayne, but one of the other series I, of movies that I watched recently was The, the Dark Knight Returns. 
the uh, two-part movie, or the two movies, because it's part one and part two, which is an alternate future where the Justice League has been disbanded, kind of like the Sokovian Accords, I guess, because they were basically superheroes are basically considered illegal. Everybody had to give up the cape. Superman works for the president of the United States, so that's the only reason he's allowed to still be kind of a superhero. But everybody else, like Batman, was forced to retire. Green Arrow was forced to retire. The Green Arrow didn't go quietly, so Superman had to basically rip his arm off to make sure he did. (laughs) But in that movie, one of the things when Superman, when Bruce decides after a 10-year retirement to come back as Batman, Superman shows up and is like, Bruce, what are you doing? You're acting like a criminal. And in that, he's like, Clark, we were always criminals. Not meaning not just himself, but Superman, the Justice. Like, we were always criminals. Yeah. Which is the only reason I bring that up is going back to it. It's like, there's still, he's still a criminal. He's a violent vigilante. And even by extension, even the Justice League and the Titans are criminals. It's extra legal crime fighting. Yeah. But we see them as heroes because most of the time they're the lesser of two evils compared to the villains. Something like that. Or sometimes the law, it doesn't always perfectly define right and wrong. That's another way of looking at it. I guess that works too. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this, this is one of the biggest debates in the Batman lore is, you know, should he kill? Should he not kill? Is it, like you said, is it justice? Is it constrained vengeance? What's the difference? Think about what the what is the most famous Batman line from the animated series. I am vengeance. I am the knight. I am Batman. Throughout so much of it, he was actually, he was vengeance. And then for the Damian Wayne storyline, they had to kind of change that over to justice. Maybe that's just me being an idiot, but what's the difference? When you're, when you're talking vigilanteism anyway. And I guess, I mean, there are also other heroes across DC and Marvel that have played on the other side of the line of not having a line, yeah. you know, being vigilantes that were willing to kill. And Batman, maybe, again, not just because he has to be the hero, but demonstrating that, you know, there's an ideal that you need to live up to. I mean, he's not the blue Boy Scout that Superman right. is, and he's darker than that. But he still does have a line, and it's that line that makes him a hero, not a villain. He has, on multiple occasions, stated that the reason he won't cross that line is because he doesn't think he'd be able to come back from it. Once he starts to kill, he won't stop. And he recognizes that in himself, and that's why he won't take that step. And it's also probably why it's too complicated to have stories where he accidentally crosses the line and... Or gets into a kill-or-be-killed situation and has to cross that line. Probably safer to keep him the way he is and then explore that line through other characters like Jason Todd and Damian Wayne. And even through the villains as well to examine that line from the other side than to have Batman, you know, redraw the line and cross back and forth every now and then. Because obviously it's, it's, it's obvious that and we talked about this, too, in our previous episode. It's one thing when you're talking about a bank robber or a mugger or something like that. Obviously, you shouldn't kill those right. people. 
But most people talk about the, the violent, especially homicidal villains that he's right. faced. Those are the people where it would seem like maybe the only way to stop them is to cross the line. But the general run-of-the-mill non-violent criminals, I don't think anyone would say, yeah, cross the line and kill them too. But so many of the supervillains, the big villains that Batman has faced, have been the homicidal maniacs, or at least the people who had no problem with crossing right. the line. And why not make an exception? Why not have that just be the exception? It's like, well, yeah, you shouldn't kill just to kill, but there are some people that just have to be put down. But do they, though? Exactly. And again, that's back to what you had said. That's not really what Batman is about and what Batman represents in terms of that ideal of maybe there is justice and there is the opportunity for rehabilitation, no matter how dark a person is or how, no matter how dark their actions are, there's always, you always have to have hope for something better or a positive thing, even though you don't really, I don't think anyone would ever say that Batman is a symbol of hope. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it, I mean, in a way, he's just, a, he's a weird symbol of hope, in part because of the line that he doesn't cross. He does what is necessary to stop the criminals, but without going over that last line. And maybe the fact that that brings a different kind of hope. Yeah. That you can't actually stop the criminals without killing the criminals. Maybe it's not justice, not vengeance. Maybe it's justice and vengeance. That could be. I mean, vengeance kind of implies revenge, right? Like you're doing it because somebody else did something bad, whereas justice is you did something bad, now you're going to pay for it. Yeah, exactly. Like that's why like the characters that become most problematic, like Dick Grayson's flirting with the line was wanting to, to literally take vengeance against the criminal who killed his family. That's more understandable. Yeah. Because yeah, like or or Bruce wanting to take vengeance against the person who murdered his parents. That's like revenge right. vengeance. Like taking vengeance on behalf of someone else by stopping a murderer who murdered a stranger. Maybe that's not vengeance. That kind of dips into whether or not the other Robins should have been trained versus Damien. Because that's, yeah, going back to, that is one of the other things that whenever I watch anything Batman, and, in, and was brought up a few times in the movies that we mentioned, is Batman makes a choice. And this is going back to my uh, early remarks about Batman versus Robin and the the lines about both Robin and Dollmaker talking about weaponizing children. Batman didn't need to train all of the Robins. Like, he could have just adopted Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, and Tim Drake, and he's super rich, so just send them to a prep school and let them have a happy-go-lucky life. He didn't need to bring them in, or at the very least, wait until they're 18, like, let them have a normal childhood, get a good education... And then maybe bring them in to the crime fighting part of the I family? agree with you on Jason Todd for that. Not Dick Grayson, because the reason he actually took Dick Grayson in as a Robin was because he recognized in Dick the same thing that he recognized in himself as a child, was that Dick was going, nothing was going to stop him from going after those people that killed his parents. And so he decided to train him and discipline him in the only way that he knew how to keep him from crossing that line from which he'd never come back. 
And in doing so, he kept that childhood innocence that would have been lost. And if you notice in the Nightwing character, he's actually, he is still very lighthearted. He jokes, he's happy because he never actually crossed that line. Now, Jason Todd, on the other hand, he was just a street rat that, like you said, he could have just been sent off to school, get provided a better life, and probably would have been better. Tim Drake, though, he became Robin because he forced it. He found out who Batman was and basically gave him the ultimatum. Either I'm going to tell everybody or you're going to make me Robin. So he didn't really have a choice there. And like you said, like you were going towards Damien. I mean, again, he had to be trained. He had to be kept close. He had to be shown why killing isn't the answer. But also at the same time, that's why part of my note was that you could argue that he's the only Robin that had to be made Robin. But your point about Dick Grayson is is a good one. But it's also why it's interesting, though, that at the end, again, of Batman versus Robin, he lets Damien leave, knowing full well that Damien could decide to cross that line. He could have left it more open to Dick Grayson and just seen if Dick crossed the line. He almost didn't trust Dick. And had to train Dick because he wasn't confident that he wouldn't otherwise. But he also, he he let Damien go like that because he recognized he had to. Remember, like, building up to that point, Damien was becoming increasingly upset because Batman didn't trust him and wouldn't let him out of the sight and was keeping him too close. Wouldn't let him be his own person. And so by letting him go was a way of saying, okay, I trust you. And that forced Damien to live up to the trust. I could see that. I mean, going back to one of the other points you raised earlier, it is nice that Damien is relatively consistent because he's a relatively new character. But we also haven't seen a tremendous amount of character development and growth because he's also still relatively young. Like we have seen like Dick Grayson as Nightwing is is a, a character arc that's different. And he's also older. We haven't really seen... Other than that, like, fever-induced, like, that drug-induced fever dream of Bruce seeing one potential future where Damien just becomes the killy version of Batman, we don't know if Damien will grow up to be different. Right. At least not yet, but... Yeah, we'll see. In about 60 years when he finally becomes a teenager. (laughs) Or he'll just be like Bart Simpson and he'll never grow up. He'll just be the same age for, like, 35 years. But yeah, that's one one of the things that we really haven't seen much with. Again, both Dick Grayson and Jason Todd became adults. Tim Drake did too, but again, he's as maybe as interesting of a character. But yeah, we really haven't seen yet what the future uh, might be like, which is actually another one of the reasons why I like the the Young Justice series. Again, not to bring it back to the Robins again, but we see in that series a nice evolution of you know Dick Grayson as teenage Robin who needs to learn more about teamwork because he doesn't understand how to do anything other than be around Batman. And he kind of like goes off on his own because he's just expected to do those things because being a part of Batman's team is not really the same thing as being a part of a team (laughs) in other contexts. But then we also see he then becomes Nightwing and, and takes on a different role. Then Tim Drake comes in and brings a completely different perspective to the character a completely different personality who also does 
grow and evolve over the, the few seasons of that show. So they do get to explore a little bit more about what it's like to come out from underneath Bruce's shadow and, and be Robin in a different way. Yeah. Which also goes to show Batman's recognition that he's not the best role model. Like, he understands that. That he's not the, that he's not the best role model. And maybe in a way, we've talked about this in our previous episode of, I mean, his childhood was tragically cut short when his parents died. He grew up, but he kind of disappeared. Like, I think even in Bad Blood, I think Dick Grayson even says, Bruce Wayne is just another mask. Yeah, that's a common thing. Which is the thing that you had brought up, too, in our previous episode, that there really is just the Batman. There is no Bruce Wayne. And we've seen with, especially with Dick Grayson, we've seen that there is Dick Grayson and Nightwing. Dick Grayson has a life. He is a person. We've seen that with Tim Drake. We've seen that in very different ways with Jason Todd. But still, Bruce is just Batman. And there is nothing else but Batman. So that makes him really bad for a role model, really bad as a parent, and probably really bad for someone who would recruit anyone. Yeah. Hey, here's Jim with an editor's note. On the question of whether or not Batman makes a good role model and whether he was right in indoctrinating children into the Bat family, there's actually a nice brief scene in the Young Justice animated series where the Justice League is debating whether or not Captain Marvel, a.k.a. Shazam, should remain in the Justice League when it's revealed that he's really only a 10-year-old kid, Billy Babson. During the discussion, it's not surprising that Batman knows the truth and defends that Billy should stay in the League, but it leads to an interesting exchange with Wonder Woman regarding Robin. Should Captain Marvel stay a member now that we know he's really only 10 years old? He does possess an adult body and the wisdom of Solomon. Wisdom does not equal maturity. No, Captain Marvel is a member and is entitled to participate until or unless he's voted out. It's not just his age. It's the fact that he lied about it. You kept an important secret from us. No one in the League knew the truth. I did. I shouldn't be surprised. Since you indoctrinated Robin into crime fighting at the ripe old age of nine. Robin needed to help bring the men who murdered his family to justice. So he could turn out like you? So that he wouldn't. So yeah, he's very an interesting and complex character, but at the same time, a very non-complex character because Batman is all he is. Right. He is 100% discipline. Yes. Which is like going back to what you said, why Damian Wayne is probably the most Batman-like right. Robin. Because he is pretty much the exact same way. And even his you know, burgeoning romantic connection to Raven is not uncharacteristic because the one aspect, I guess the one aspect of Batman that is Bruce Wayne is Bruce Wayne does like to fuck around. He does have, well, romantic rela- Well, he has sexual relationships. Right. Some romantic relationships. So he does have some semblance. I mean, he did get married to Catwoman. He did get married to Catwoman. I mean, again, he was forced and the whole Talia thing was not, not against, was against his will. But I mean, he does have some 
right? Some minor semblance of a life, and like we said, you had said in the previous episode, he does use the Bruce Wayne mask to protect the Bat family, to protect Dick, to protect right. Alfred, to protect. So he does have some non-Batman humanity to yeah, him. Yeah, it's not like he doesn't have feelings. If he didn't have feelings, he wouldn't do what he does. Exactly. Because that was even one of the scenes in Batman versus Robin when Robin goes running after Dollmaker. Batman rescues the kids who were trapped in the cages and says, you know, come with me. I'll, I'll keep you safe. And the little girl hugs Batman and Batman hugs right. her back. So there is a human in there. Because again, before he became Batman, he had a happy, loving childhood until it was destroyed when his parents. Man, I'm trying to remember where the where the where it was at. Sorry, I, I don't mean to. There was somewhere in one of I watched all of these in like two and a half days, trying to get ready for this, watching everything that you told me I should rewatch. And in one of them, and I think I think it might have been the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, but in one of them, somebody goes to hug Damien. He's like, "Please stop! Please stop!" So I guess that kind of goes into he doesn't have or understand feelings in the way most people do, which I think also kind of why he connects with Raven, why they connect with each other is they both struggle with social interactions and feelings and stuff. And that's the that's how they bond. Yeah, exactly. That might be like the only person he could bond with is someone else who also has no social interaction skill and also doesn't have the same relationship to other And the people. discipline. <laughs> and and the yeah, in the discipline that Raven has to be incredibly disciplined to prevent Trigon from taking right. over. So she really can't let her guard down and be normal. And Damien can relate to that discipline as well. So yeah, that's probably why it was the only only thing that would actually make sense. As opposed to the running joke that goes through all of those movies, which again, it's like lots of things happen in the background that you wouldn't notice, but the Dick Grayson-Coriander relationship, Nightwing and... Starfire. Starfire is poked fun at, well, not fun at, but is referenced many times. (laughs) It's one of those things where you might, like, Damien sneaks out of uh, Wayne Manor because Dick is on the phone talking to Starfire, who's talking about wearing red lacy lingerie. (laughs) So Dick is very much has a life that's apart from Nightwing. And in part, that's one of the reasons why Damien can so easily escape from him. Because Dick doesn't have that kind of discipline. Right. He's disciplined as Nightwing, but he he bifurcates his life into something else other than being Nightwing. Like I said, he's joyful. He, he enjoys life. Yes, he does. And you even see that a little bit in the in the younger version of Tim Drake, too. He's a more happy-go-lucky type of kid than the other versions of Robin have been, too. But, like, even in, like, the beginning of, like, Teen Titans, uh, the Judas Contract, when they, like, ransack one of the facilities, Damien basically is saying how well, basically, the bad guys were doing. And, like, Dick is like, Damien, stop complimenting the terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, everyone else is focused on, like, how bad the bad guys are. And Damien's like, they got a pretty good setup here. They were doing a pretty good job. Because <laughs> he just sees things again through a completely right. different lens than the other characters because see. Because, like Batman, he's takes every, all, he takes in all the details. And he sees what, not only what they're doing, but why they're doing it. Right. And that's actually in, like, the Teen Titans movies and even at the Justice League crossover movies. He's usually the one that criticizes whatever the plan right. is. 
because he, like Batman, sees through all of that other stuff because he's not he doesn't get bogged down in any of that other stuff. So like I had said earlier in Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, he criticized Superman's plan because like, this is bad. This is not going to work. We also saw in that movie that Batman did have a backup plan. So the way that they actually won was because Batman foresaw that what happened was one of the things that could have happened. And he made an arrangement with Zatanna and John Constantine to fix it if things went that bad. So Batman had a backup plan. In other Teen Titans stuff, Damien is usually, he criticizes, openly criticizes, whether it's Nightwing or Starfire, who's leading the team. It's like, this is a bad plan. I can see this is a bad plan. Yeah. <laughs> so he also has that aspect of of Batman that the, the other Robins Which don't. also plays into him being a child as well, as he has no filter. Where, like, in the Justice League, when somebody says something that he sees as stupid or bad plan or something, he just glares at him and squints at him, and they're like, oh, sorry. But he doesn't actually really say anything. He doesn't really, very rarely does he actually call them out as being stupid. Whereas Damien is just constantly like, you're an idiot. Why aren't you thinking about this? Why aren't you doing this? Questioning and, and verbalizing everything. Right. And even in like the, just even in the Teen Titans, the Judas contract, he's the one who is immediately suspicious of, of Terra, in part because he's immediately suspicious of everyone. And he's not wrong <laughs> to be. But he's not wrong to be like, like he he basically starts uh, tr- uh, tracking her and following her because he's like, something's not right. And he ends up getting kidnapped by Deathstroke to take him off the board. But it's like he doesn't give people the benefit of the doubt. He, he kind of goes to, I'll just assume the worst because most of the time I'll be right. Yeah. <laughs> and if I'm wrong, you know, no harm, no foul. What, what bad comes from that? But by always looking for the, like Batman, by always looking at the possible worst case scenarios, right. he can build plans, like we had said before. This is why the plans to neutralize the superhumans in the Justice League is devised by Batman, right. not by one of the other superhumans, because Batman has that, okay, here's someone who's super powerful. We better figure out a way to neutralize them, which is also one of the things I thought was funny in Justice League versus the Teen Titans. That Damien stabs Superman with a kryptonite dagger. Yeah. <laughs> that Damien's the one who takes down Superman. And he's like, why do you have that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why do you have that? And then after like it breaks like the Trigon spell, Superman's like, can you take that out of me yeah. now? <laughs> can you put that away? Because <laughs> like Damien's like Damien's like on top of him with like a like evil grin on his face like i just stabbed superman <laughs> and superman's like you can take that out now please <laughs> so again bringing it back to he is the most batman-y robin of all of them so in the beginning of i think it was judas contract where he talks about i don't know maybe it was uh teen titans one anyways he was talking to Corey when he's first getting introduced to him he's like how do you not know anything about Ro- about uh raven and, you know, Corey gives a little bit of the background of why they brought it in. He's like, yeah, but you, you brought her in. You don't know anything about her. And then she starts talking about, uh, I think it was uh, Garfield. And he's like, you don't know anything about it. How, how are you running this team without knowing everything about all of these people? Like, it's just, he doesn't comprehend. And that goes into, in one of the movies, I think it was War, uh, when the Justice League was kind of first getting together. And they had to, like, put on disguises. And all of them are kind of looking at each other like, I don't want to take my mask off. 
and Batman just he takes his mask off, says, "I'm Bruce Wayne. You're Wally West. You're you know, like he gives everybody secret identities away." And everybody's like, "How do you know that?" And it goes to show he knew everything about him before he ever even met him. Right. Yeah. That I think that scene you're talking about might have been in um, Teen Titans and the Judas Contract, maybe. But yeah, he, his immediate criticism is like because uh, they Corey's response is that like respecting everyone else's privacy it's like yo you're the leader of this team you should know everything about everyone at all times it's like none of this should be a surprise to you then if not because again he's thinking in the same mindset of batman like you said batman knows everything there's another line too where he said there's somebody says something like it's not your business he's like it's part of teen titans it's part of my business it's my business to know everything that goes on exactly he would probably i don't know if he would be would he be a good leader for the titans no, because of his social issues, but that's why he got sent to the Titans. But I mean, Batman has social issues, and he's a leader in the Justice League. A leader, League. not the leader. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, Superman's really the leader, but Batman's the plan guy. And he could, t- he could, I could definitely see him taking that role in Teen Titans, Damien, as the plan guy, as the second in command, or the co chair, or whatever you want to call it, but as like the main leader everybody answers to this one person no it would make for a good story because there'd be a lot of conflict yeah because like in young justice the dick grayson robin initially assumes that he should just be the leader and he sucks at it and they end up making aqualad the leader because he has actual leadership because because he's used to be working with batman where they don't have to communicate they just know what each other are going to do and they do the right thing Right, exactly. Like, there are times where, like, Robin's like, how come you guys didn't know what I was already going to do? And it's like, because you didn't tell us. Because, like you said, he's used to working with Batman where you don't need to communicate. You either know the plan or you don't know the plan. And if you don't know the plan, you're off the fucking team because you're supposed to know the plan because you're on the team. So he can't lead, but he then becomes a leader in, like, the second season when he becomes Nightwing. But initially, we do do see that maybe... You know, Batman's second in command is not really a good choice to be a leader. But like we said, Damien is the most Batman Robin. And like, yeah, he would be a he would be a a ruthlessly efficient leader of Titans. But yeah, they wouldn't they wouldn't like him very much. But he would probably make them a much better, much more capable of dealing with challenges. One of the things I really like about the way they write Damien Wayne, Wayne, I always do that. (laughs) I've been talking about Damien Wayne for so long that. Um, Damien Wayne is that they consistently still make keep him a child and they they keep him doing yeah. childish things and so the the big issue that comes with that is he's very much a don't I can do it I'll do it and so him as a leader in the Teen Titans would just end up him going all right you guys all just sit back here and I'll go take care of it yeah una- unable to delegate because he would take right. everything on him himself it would be interesting to see, though, at some point, what at least the 18-year-old version of Damien would be, would be like. Yeah. And I, I'm, if, I mean, I'm, they have done it, and I'm sure they'll do it more, of him becoming the Batman. Yeah, he's probably the only, I mean, they've done it in the comics, yeah. right? He's probably the only one, I wouldn't even go as far as to say he's the only one that Bruce would let be Batman. Leaving aside Terry McGinnis and Batman Beyond, which I love, but in the before that timeline, I don't know if there's anyone else that Bruce would let become Batman. That's a whole different discussion. 
<laughs> I could see him being, not when he turns 18, but later in life, eventually becoming Batman. But I mean, the fact that they were able to, the comics and the animated movies were able to show us Dick Grayson as Robin and Dick Grayson as Nightwing, there's an evolution yeah. there. There's a difference. I, I there. guess what you're saying is he, he'd be the only one that Bruce would trust to be independently Batman. Yes. And that I agree with. Okay. But yeah, it would still be like, it, it, this still should be, it'd still be interesting to see some intermediate yeah. version of Damien. W- whether he's still Robin or he takes on some post Robin persona like Dick did with Nightwing. But I would like to see an older version of Damien and see how how he grew and, and how he advanced. That'll be interesting. And again, like you said, maybe we'll get that eventually. But like we also said, there's a whole bunch of, of animated movies that uh, give you an opportunity to see, to experience at least that character from a, a fairly consistent and developed way across you know a half a dozen movies that would be definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen any of the movies that we've mentioned. In yes, this for sure. I do know there is, I, I haven't played it, but the game Injustice 2 has a more grown-up Damian Wayne in it, but I haven't played it, so I don't know anything about it. Are there any other movies uh, that we haven't mentioned? I'm sure there is, but honestly, all of it's been blending together in my head, and I can't remember what was what. Yeah, I mean, I, I know myself that there are a few other movies that the character is in, but plays a minor role, like... Damien is in Batman Hush, but he he, does, he has a very minor role. There's another movie that he has sort of a cameo appearance in. So he is in a few other things, but the movies we've highlighted in this episode are the ones where he has the most significant screen time, or at least the most significant story yeah. and character development time. Agreed. Uh, I really do hope, again, I don't know what the fourth season of Young Justice, I don't know if it's going to actually come out this year or next year, but it is coming. It would be cool... If we saw Damien on Young Justice, like I said, we've seen him only as a baby so far. And they gave us a great Dick Grayson and Tim Drake and did acknowledge Jason Todd. And they also showed us Stephanie Brown very briefly. I would really like to see a Young Justice version uh, of Damien, maybe a little bit older. And maybe he is in some type of a leadership role. I did hear that they are bringing back Batman the Animated Series. So it would be very interesting if they expand the Bat family in that. I'll end with, while I enjoy the live action stuff, I don't. I prefer the animated because they can do so much more with the animated. I agree. I think part of the reason why I don't like the Titans live action show is because of Young Justice. Mm-hmm. Young Justice is just such a good I think that's series. why I introduced it to you, wasn't it? Wasn't it after Titans you said you didn't like it? I was like, you should watch this. Yes, exactly. Like, I had a hard time getting into Teen Titans, not Teen Titans Go, but Teen Titans. But then once I started watching Young Justice, I couldn't go backwards. I couldn't go back and watch the Teen Titans animated series. And I think that that's having a bit of an effect on why I'm frustrated with the Titans live action show. It's because of Young Justice. It's just so good. And just in general, like you said, DC's animated stuff is just almost across the board better. Even the ones that aren't great are still better than the vast majority of the live action stuff I watch. It's very, it's very, very rare for me to not enjoy a DC animated, whether it's a series or a film. And there's lots of, I mean, we focused on Damien in this episode. There's a lot of great Batman animated movies. Oh, yeah. 
that are awesome in and of themselves, which we should cover. I mean, HBO Max, just for the DC animated stuff alone, is worth it. Oh, yes. I, I would concur. And I have to admit, that's mostly what I watch HBO Max for, is the DC content. And, I mean, the live action stuff is there, too. But I, I love watching the animated stuff. Yeah, it's it's better. It's made for adults more. It's They can expand the stories and the ideas better, the actions better, because they don't just have to go dark and shake the camera around. They can actually show you what's happening. Animated's better. Plus, the whole thing, too, is like if you need a major character to stop by for a cameo, it's not going to look stupid <laughs> in animation. But we were talking about Damian Wayne in this episode. Not to be confused with Damian Wayne. Not to be confused with uh, Damian Wayans. It's not in living color. It's Robin in not red. I forget what color Damian actually wears. But yeah, <laughs> Damian Wayans. No, Damian Wayne. Not. I. I want to. You know what? I bet a lot of people when they see this episode will be like, they're talking about Damian Wayans, <laughs> and will be confused when they start listening to it, and it's about Batman. Well, considering we have like three people that listen, I think they'll figure it out. <laughs> Indeed. Our bat family is not very big. We're looking to expand. Thank you for listening to Fanboy and the Hater. We really appreciate it and would love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. Write a review. Reach out to us on Twitter at Fanboy and Hater. Email us at thefanboyandthehater at gmail.com. You can find all of our episodes on our website, fanboyandhater.podbean.com. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. Where you can download the free Podbean mobile app for Android and iOS. You can also find us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many more. Once again, thanks for listening to The Fanboy and the Hater.